0: Well, hello, welcome to Church This Week, Hill Country. My name is Tim. I'm thrilled to be one of the pastors here. We're thrilled that you've joined us at the beginning of the new year because we want to start it exactly right, and that is as close to God as we can be. And before we do that, I hope you don't mind. I've got two encouraging things to share with you. It's going mean, to sound like I'm cheating and that the first one is two. It's not. It's just one, even though it's going to sound like two. Uh, the first thing I want to be encouraging about is with gratitude. I, thank you. Thank you to two groups of people. Number one, all of you who brought your world with you to Christmas Eve services, man, you won. 15,000 plus people came in the doors of our church and, yep... And we're exposed to a clear, clear gospel. They're exposed to an incredible worship service. They're exposed to a way that people can live their life near God, not far from him. And so thank you for having the courage to invite in Austin, Texas, of all places, people to church and the gospel. Because when you do, they do. And they came. And so thank you for that. The second group of people I want to thank... Are the volunteers Um, If you served at Leander or at Steiner or here at Lakeline Hundreds of people served all month long And December is a hard month There's a lot going on There's a lot of extracurriculars You're trying to focus on your family And hundreds of volunteers in this church Basically hosted uh, 15,000 people at their house for Christmas So can we thank the volunteers at this church That invest in it Thank you, thank you, thank you That is something I wanted to let you know because, yay, God has not left himself without a witness. And here in North Austin, we are making a difference. The second thing I want to say as an encouragement is this, is that Pastor Jim is doing well in his response and treatment to his cancer. Um, Yep, you could be excited about that. As a matter of fact, he's feeling so good that the plan is for him to hop in and teach maybe once a month, beginning in February. He's got outpatient treatment that he's doing. Um, he's getting his like body and life calibrated to that. And so we've told him, man, as soon as you want to tag back in, like, chocolate, and like, I'll hop out the rope and you hop in, okay? And so the, the goal right now is for Pastor Jim to be back with us, I believe February 11th, if that's a Sunday. If that's not a Sunday... Just assume that it's my mistake, not the calendar, okay? So, wanted to let you know, yes, keep ple- uh, keep praying, but man, we're just grateful and proud and excited. Now, with that said, um, the assumption of prayer is not something that we want to move forward with this year. As a matter of fact, we want to stop and be patient, yea, even compassionate, yea, even encouraging, in recognizing that there are two groups of Christians in the world— You know, I mean, there's a lot of ways you can slice us up, right? Like Aggie Longhorn and the poor Baylor Bears are like, what about us? Um, uh, Try being me. No one roots for anything in California ever. Uh, (laughs) Chunky or creamy peanut butter, there's lots of ways to split. But it's actually a really honest way, maybe not encouraging, but maybe honest For us to acknowledge that there are two types of Christians in modern American Christianity. There are folks who have the discipline, the habit, the conviction, and the confidence that prayer is a regular part of their life. And then there's a group of Christians who aren't convinced of that. And actually, the most compassionate way we could say it is it's intimidating to them to be people of prayer. So we've got two groups of people, even in our church, the bestest church in the whole wide world, uh, a group of people who are confident and active in prayer, and then there's a group of people who are not confident in prayer. And because of that lack of confidence, there's a lack of prayer. And rather than us spend four weeks talking about it theoretically and not moving it from a stage or a stream into your life, or... Instead of saying, hey, how come you don't, why don't you, let's just say this, that all month long, we want to acknowledge that prayer can be a challenge. It can be a challenge for two reasons. The first reason is this, it can be confusing. It's new year, new you, except that you're going to be a lot like you were last year, but that's okay. And in January, people walk into gyms to get swole. And then they walk in and they see people doing inverted butterflies on the flux capacitor. And they're like, I don't know what that is. You know what? The Lord's chicken needs support as well. I commit to more Chick-fil-A in 2024 than in 2023. It's, it's just the confusion of what all the different equipment is at a gym. Like, I don't even know what all of that stuff does. And I don't do that. And because it's confusing, we don't. And prayer can be that way. It's like, what are all the words? Thou art high and lifted up, and art transcendent upon the cloud, and thine radiance descendeth like a dove. And Tim, I don't know all the words, man. And the confusion of prayer can keep us from it. And the second thing that prayer can be, it can be defeating. Prayer can be really defeating because it's not just what is prayer, it's what am I? Why would... God want to carve out time in his schedule for me. I, I, I kind of messed up this week. And to be honest, I've kind of been slipping for a while. And I don't, know, I don't know that I can bring myself. It's one of the ways where big church kind of works against us. Because you think about Christmas Eve, right? Like it was so amazing for us to celebrate and brag about who God is. And yeah, we got a little turned up and we made it snow. And then you know what doesn't happen in your quiet time at 6.30 a.m. at the breakfast table? It does not snow. I happen to know. Because it was 73 on Christmas. And, and here's, here's my point. My point is sometimes of being part of a megachurch can make your spiritual walk feel insignificant to who God is, and it can just feel like, I, I'm not as turned up as you guys are. I, I don't think I'm that important enough. I don't feel like I measure up. And it can be really defeating, to be honest, to go from something that is prepared and rehearsed and delivered in a church service to just you trying to be like, um, God... Um, help, (laughs) and sometimes that gap works against us. So we're going to commit to a few things over the next month. As a matter of fact, we're actually going to commit to a few things over the next couple of months. One, we want to work through a clear plan for praying. It's what we're introducing today. How can we make this clear? The second thing is a commitment to encourage you for a long run. We want to hold our focus on this stage, even with all my ADD bouncing around Tim, Can we hold on for a season of time that no matter what we're talking about on a Sunday, we're trying to encourage you to go back to the habit of praying on your own because here's what we want to do. We want to give you a shot to try it and be all excited and be like, bam, new year, new me, and then to get tired and distracted and fall off for a bit, and for us to hold our patience, hold the line, and call you back to it so that you feel encouraged and Thanks for hanging on to this for a minute so that I could hang on to this for a minute. Really, we want to give you a chance to try and to not to try and to try again. You and Yoda on Dagobah, okay? That's what's going to happen. And the last thing is a calling that invites you to grow, not just to watch. We are creating content and tools so that you don't... mm, we don't want you to get to the end of January and think church was good. We want you to get to the end of January and think God is good. And so we've got to be moving some things from a stage or a stream across the, the, the divide to you. And so we're going to provide some things today and next week and all month long to move you in God's direction. So with all of that said, let's actually get started. Let's not talk about it. Let's be about it. We want to give you a clear plan. If you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 11 today. We're going to spend a lot of time in a few verses and no time in a lot of verses. And I know that sounds like Willy Wonka explaining how things work, and I'm sorry. It's just the way it is. In Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, the Bible says this. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. There's something you've got to know about Jesus. And if you've been part of Hill Country for a period of time, you already know this. If you've been part of a good Bible teaching church for any period of time, you already know this. But if you don't, let me say one of the absolute best things about who Jesus is. Jesus works to make God clear. Not simple, not unimportant, not on the same level as you. Those are are not true of what Jesus does. But Jesus does work to make God clear. Um, The book of Hebrews, if you want to read that, you should, it's great. But in the first chapter, it says this about the person of Jesus that he is the radiance of God's glory and he's the exact representation of his being. That idea is amazing. That he's the radiance of God's glory. That Jesus was around before there were things to be around. That with his words, he moves the universe. With his strength, he holds things together. In his life and in his death and in his resurrection, he redeems dead people to God himself. And then he's the exact representation of his being. You can know him, he's clear. He works to make things understandable. And so this Jesus, who makes God clear, was asked a great question. You know you live in a weird time in human history, right? Not just the last eight years in America. It's been weird for a minute. But in all of human history, most people all around the world have lived with faith. It's actually a recent development that there would be people who don't. It's more normal to live with the faith. And it's fascinating, it's encouraging to me that in the first century, as the disciples are sitting around, they lived in a really religious culture. They were like really into church and stuff. And, and like their inner natural libre came out. They were like always about the gospel and always about their faith and always about these things. And I'm so encouraged that as they're moving through their life in this very religious culture very different than our irreligious culture, they look at Jesus and they say, hey, by the way, um, if you were to teach my friend, not me, because I am a person of prayer, but if you were to teach them how to pray, what would you teach them about prayer? I'm just encouraged by the fact that even people in a really religious culture needed to be taught. How do you do this? How do you go about praying? Because it's so quiet when I pray. I feel so drifty when I pray. I'm not so confident that I said anything right when I pray. And Jesus is good when He gives them a model. And so we're gonna take the Lord's Prayer and we're going to use it as a template to help ourselves. We're gonna ask you to do this. Over the course of this month, really the only thing that we want you to sink your teeth into is can you do this? Can you pick a time and a place and have a plan? all month long, this is what you need to get to. Look at this slide. You can kill this slide. This slide is so small. You can do it. And then over the next six weeks after this month, we're going to be reinforcing this concept of time and place and plan. As a matter of fact, so grateful. Praise God for the 15,000 lives he brought through our services for Christmas. We've got a different goal now that we've moving forward in the year. My hope, My humble hope is that we can move 200 people in our church from intimidated to confident in prayer. Wouldn't that be cool too? Praise God for the 15,000. That's awesome. But praise God for the 200 that won't be intimidated and defeated by prayer. But they're like, you know what, Tim? I know what's going on. And I love the fact that God is in my daily life. So with a time and a place and a plan... We're going to move you through these four letters because I don't care if you're smart or less smart, you can remember four letters. I don't care if you're busy or less busy, you can remember four letters. And these four letters are your plan. I cannot find your time and place, but I can get you a plan. So let's move through what these are. Acts is not magic. It's not a formula. It's just practical when it's just you and God and a whole lot of quiet. The first thing that you will do in your time in prayer is adore God. Jesus starts off in the Lord's Prayer, um, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Boom, you're already lost. You never say anybody art anything because you're not William Shakespeare. And you've never called anyone hallowed, to be honest. You're not even entirely sure how it's different than Halloween. And so right off the bat, as Jesus works to make things clear, because of the language, because of very individual words, it feels very prohibitive. It feels like y'all pastors know the right words to get God to listen to you, and I don't. Let's just say this, that what really Jesus is doing is he's teaching, start your time in prayer with God in mind even before your needs. Okay? I know we live in a me first culture. I know that. And I know I just told you, don't start with you. We're going to get to you. And it's interesting because Jesus really does encourage you to request things. He encourages you to ask. But in Luke, same thing as in Matthew, when he's teaching this, he says, start with God. Um, Something interesting has happened in culture in the last 60-ish years, maybe 70-ish. We've created work that pulls you out of design, meaning this. We created desk jobs, and as you sit at a desk and you pull your arms forward to a keyboard, I can feel it right now, my shoulder blades are rounding, and I'm hunching over, and I start to get that athletic posture that I'm known for in my life, (laughs) a little bit like the hunchback of Notre Dame. And as desk jobs have pulled us forward, we literally have to teach people, make sure you stand up each day. (laughs) Like, that's a wild thing that I own a little baby phone that cost me $600, that buzzes my wrist every so often to say, like, hey, bro, stand up. (laughs) And then, unfortunately, my little baby phone that is my phone's phone um, reinforces the fact that I'm so addicted to my phone that my neck is down hours every day. Oh, my screen time report is just devastating every Sunday morning. It's like, here's how much you were immature every day last week. And that neck. And so now you combine desk jobs with cell phone addiction, and you've got literally a population that doesn't even know how we're designed. Your shoulders are supposed to be rounded back. Oh, my gosh. My abs are so tired standing like this right now. (laughs) And your chin is supposed to be up because God has designed your eyes to look out, to look out. And I know that it's popular in some churches to take the Lord's Prayer and say, God wants to just give you and he just wants to hashtag blessed. And it's so frustrating because that is actually so true in this passage. It's just not the whole way to teach it. The whole way to teach it is to say, start with your head up. That when God is at the beginning of your prayer life, that you're aligned, your shoulders get pulled back and your chin is up and you're just, the way you're designed to be. Start by saying something about God. And you're like, Tim, I love it. Oh, I love it. What would I say? I know, it's intimidating. All the Bible words, the theology. Like, I'm going to express affection to God for who he is and what he's done. How do I do that? Watch how simple it can be. God, I believe that you're God and I am not. Whoo! Do you know what good that does to your cortisol-creating body every day to clearly delineate that he's God and you don't got to be? And as a matter of fact, you might enjoy saying it so much that you might just start saying other things in your life which are not God. I'm not saying you don't love your kids. You love your kids, but your kids, it's okay for you to say in the quietness, maybe not out loud when they can hear, okay? God, you are God and my children are not, as a matter of fact. And for you mamas that have got littles at at home, it is hard for you to even find a space in your house. I know because they knock at the bathroom door. I know it. But for you to start saying other things which are not God, do you know how good it is for your soul to say, God, politics are not God. You are. Do you know how good it is for you to say, God, my bank account is not God. You are And like all those things that are driving you to ask for need, you can start to say in the beginning, those things aren't God. And then just a second idea for you. God, I believe that you're good. Ooh, that's hard for some of you. Because you've asked God for some things and they turned out differently than you thought the story needed to end. And it's hard for you to tell God to his face that you believe he's good. Ooh, just that exercise might be a challenge. My point is this, is that when you start in your time in prayer and you need the plan, Tim, what's the plan? What do I do? The first thing you do is align yourself, pull those shoulders back, lift that chin up, set your gaze upward, and let God be God. Just tell him something you believe about him. Less intimidating. You could do that. Cool. Let's keep moving. The second thing you're going to do in your time in prayer, I'm going to lose you all. I'm losing everybody right now. Confess your sins. Oh, man, Tim, I love the idea. It was so encouraging, and I'm out, baby. I I love it. Keep talking about prayer all month long. I want to feel good when I come in this room, but when I walk out this room, I'm out. I get it. I really do. Uh, Let me say something different than this, but we're going to come back to this. I'm not trying to trick you. I'm just trying to dip your toe in the hot water, okay? Uh, My sons came out for Christmas break, which was very exciting to us because now we live very, very far away from them. And they were here for a long time. My younger of the two sons, um, we tried to figure out what car I would leave behind for him to get to his job and classes and stuff. And it turns out we picked the wrong car, and so he and I had to swap. And so on Thursday of this week, I, in my forty-six-year-old body, got in a two-thousand—I don't know—eight Hyundai Sonata, which is fine. The Lord provides, Jehovah Jireh. But I drove. In a Hyundai Sonata from Austin, Texas to Tucson, Arizona, which is just past Venus, guys. <laughs> we, got, we got out of Texas and had five more hours. And then when I got to Tucson, Arizona, we stayed in. Listen, he's a 19-year-old boy. I hope he never hears this. And my family's here now. And they're going to rat me out. He's a 19-year-old boy. He does not need the Ritz-Carlton. I am not going to lie. I found the cheapest hotel in Tucson for us to sleep and then keep moving so we can get, don't tell him, shh. But here was the problem. I woke up and I felt like I had been attacked by vandals because 13 hours in a Hyundai Sonata and eight hours in a cheap mattress, I'm pretty sure people had baseball bats and took them to my lower back and my shoulder. Now, here's the thing. I'm a veteran. I'm not a rookie. I brought with me pain patches. And these little pain patches I put all over. It's, it's like I was held together by solemn pause, okay? All across my lower back, I smelled like old mints, okay, from like, uh, like a nursing home. And I did not care because about 20 minutes after putting these patches on all over, I'm like, whoo, I can get on an airplane now. And I flew back home. Here's the connection to what we're talking about now. You live in a culture that does not handle pain well. And I don't mean physical. We shame people. We cancel people. We do not deal with guilt or fault at all. Any pushback. I mean, there's a trend now that if you use a period in an email or a text, that that comes across as aggressive. Y'all, we are soft as a culture. And how in the world are we going to call people living in 21st century American culture who are too soft to use punctuation to a spiritual discipline of confessing sin to an active and present God? That's going to be a challenge. Because when you put a name right on it, you are bringing God's grace right on it. The habit of confession is terrifying because you're going to find out who God really is, not who you hope he is. And I'm telling you, I've walked with the Lord for 31 years, and there is nothing in my prayer life that grounds me more than pretty specific confession. Because when I tell him these things, man, Lord, I've been hurt in this way, and I've hurt people in this way. Lord, here's where I've fallen short I met with grace. He did not spend the life of his son so that he could now just in the year 2024 choose to shame me. He spent Jesus' blood on me as an investment, and it was costly. And so he wants to invite me into what that investment purchases for me. Oh, confession's amazing. Confession brings me into the regular person of who God is. I think the intimidation of prayer is why people just go to a big church, because a big church has got everything dialed in and God is always safe and you're never vulnerable. And I'm telling you this: there is nothing better than a real God. God is better than your church. And I say that as a pastor at your church. I happen to know you're at the bestest church in the history of all the churches. You're at the U win. God is better than this. It, but unless you drive through this gate, you ain't ever going to find out. You're going to wonder and hope and wonder and doubt. You can know. You're allowed to know. Confess. So when we say it simply, it's just this. Tell God your sins and ask for his forgiveness. That's the simple definition of confession. Tell God your sins. And by the way, you're going you're like to try this out this week. Some of you are going to try this out. And you're going to say things like, God, I know I wasn't great to my wife this week. Okay, listen, you're a husband. We all know you weren't great to your wife this week, okay? Say something real specific. Get, like, like have your heart beat for a second before you say it. Because the more clear, the more specific his healing is in your life. I'm just telling you all, be specific. Okay. So we're adoring God, we're confessing things, and then it's going to be so simple. you're going to thank him. You're going to express gratitude for something God has done for you. Now, for two and a half weeks, I've been prepping for this moment, and I've already known that for two and a half weeks, I don't do this well. And I know that you already agree. Tim, you should be honest with us when you're in church, because you're a pastor, and this is church, you've got to be honest. But do you know how frustrating it is for me to be honest about things I'm bad at? And like, Tim, how the heck could you be bad at being thankful to God? I've got a very mature reason. I'm glad you asked. Thank you. Um, I'm least consistent in the habit of thankfulness because a long time ago I decided this, and this is wonderful. I agree with what I'm about to say. I don't need my circumstances to be good to believe that God is good. I don't. I believe God is good when he's with me in the middle of something difficult and frustrating and uncomfortable. But somewhere along the lines, I decided that I'd be hardcore about what I believe about God and not soft to the things that he's provided me to. I've started to discount anything that happens in my life. And so I'm not very good at stopping in my time in prayer. I work this into my time in prayer a lot. I work this into my time in prayer a lot. I don't work this a lot into my time in prayer. And it's like, as we spend some time hovering on this, this is what I'm going to be working on, is expressing gratitude for things that he has done. I don't need things to be good for me to be faithful, and therefore I don't linger on the things that God has done that he's been good about. That's crazy to me. I don't know. Now, let's walk through why would this be helpful. Well, I'm motivated to come to God because I need something. Whoa, God, my wife got a diagnosis. Whoa, God, I got a pink slip. For those of you that, I'm sorry, I am used a term that predates some of your working history. God, I got let go on Zoom. (laughs) Um, God, I, I looked at, you know, my updated tax bill and what is going on with Austin property values. Like, ah, I look at a need. And because I have a need, then I go to God. But I'm staring at this need the whole time. And it's like, God, I need you to fix this thing. And it turns God into a cosmic vending machine when I'm fixated on the need. And really, I start to determine God's goodness based on how this will turn out. And so instead of me just thanking God for a whole sea of things that he's provided for me over the years, God has provided a lot for me over the years. Instead of me walking backwards through those things and saying, God, you are good, And you provide good things. And I want to combine all those ingredients into my cake batter. I just look at the outcome. And when I only look at outcomes, there is a danger that God is shifty. He's not in reality. But if God is always a circumstance, if God is always your marriage or your bank account or your health or your kids or whatever, then God's going to be like the weather forecast for you. You're not going to be sure if you can trust him today. You're going to be sure if you need to insulate yourself from him or not. But what thankfulness does is it says there is a circumstance I'm going to ask you about in just a minute here. But I'm going to thank you for some other circumstances. I'm going to thank you for your provision. I'm going to thank you for your patience. I'm going to thank you for my marriage. I'm going to thank you for my house that blew up in value that I get to pay property tax on. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for my swelling wealth. (laughs) All of these things. But expressing my gratitude, it's like it's like f- flying in an airplane <laughs> over a mountain range. And when you thank God, you're able to see a bunch of other peaks that he's already moved you over. And yeah, there is something that he's got to move you over now. There is a, a need. There is a worry. There's a fear. There's a weight. And you're like, oh, Lord, I don't know about this one, though. Like, I know you've done a bunch for me, but this one? When you thank him, you're grounding yourself in everything you've done before. In this, in this time in prayer. And by the way, I know I'm talking a lot. You don't got to talk this much in prayer. Lord, help you. Please don't talk as much as me. You're going to tell him some things you believe about him. You're going to confess, here's some sin that I want your healing on. And then you're going to thank him for some things. And I'm telling you, just these three are going to transform your comfort, your confidence, about your own life in prayer. They're going to transform what you believe about God. And you're going to love your big old church as it fits in your own spiritual rhythms. And then we're going to get through all of these things. And then we're going to do this. Now we're going to seek. Now, some of you are tripping out. Because you've heard adoration and confession and thankfulness and supplication. Some of you have heard this SB supplication. Guys, let's be honest. No one in the world says supplicate anymore. Like, hey, boss, I'd like to supplicate you for a day off um, coming out of New Year's. Nobody says that. And so we're just going to use a word that everybody uses, okay? It just means that you're going to seek God um, for the things that you want to seek him for. The, the passage jumps into a big old chunk. Here's the funny thing. Now, remember what I said in the beginning? We're going to spend a lot of time on a little verses and a little time on a lot of verses. I know you can't read it. That's not the point. Here's the point. When Jesus gets to encourage you to seek God for answers, he talks a lot about it. And so it's... All those churches that say, oh, God's a vending machine, just you give a hundred, God will give you a thousand, make sure that you, you know, pray that you get blessed up. I'm frustrated because there's actually a lot of truth in the fact that God wants you to believe that He loves you. But it's interesting because He sets it up through a story. In the rest of Luke chapter 11, Jesus tells a really quick story that you don't understand because you're American, okay? There's a dude. And um, at midnight, he has a friend show up, and the friend needs someplace to stay. The friend's flight got delayed and got into Ostenbergstrom late, and there was still traffic somehow, and he didn't get to his buddy's house until midnight. And this guy is like, oh, shoot, man, we're getting ready to go out of town. We put everything in the freezer. I don't have anything to feed you. And so this dude goes next door, and he knocks on his buddy's door, and he's like, bro, bro, my friend just showed up. And I got nothing to feed him. Can you help? And this guy says, fool, get out of my porch. It's midnight. Like, order some DoorDash or Uber Eats. Figure it out. And he wants to send this guy back. Now, you and I read that and we're like, yeah. Don't come knock at my door at midnight. Order some Uber Eats. Why are you not prepared? Why didn't you think this through? Why aren't you taking care of the problem? Because we love to be self-sufficient. And you're missing the point of the parable. As Jesus goes through and he teaches the rest of it, this guy is the bad guy because this guy wants to take care of his guest. That's what he wants to do, and he can't. And so this guy can, and he's choosing to kick him out. You see, in a hospitality culture, it would be obvious to everyone, oh, you're the bad guy. (laughs) Like, why would you do that? Why would you not help a stranger? Why would you not help a guest? And so people's chests would have tightened up. Like if I mentioned Aggies and Longhorns, like you're like, oh, not in this room. When they hear this story, their chest tightens up. Why would this guy send away a friend in need? And the point of the parable is that even the bad guy will help when he's asked. And then Jesus, in the rest of the verses, five through eight, tell the story, nine through 13, talk about God. And it's really interesting because as he talks about God, he's basically saying this, God is hospitable. And so even a bad guy will help meet a need when they're asked, why don't you believe your father will? We can just say it this way. You submit your requests and your needs to God. You're going to tell him something you believe about him. You're going to confess some sins to him. You're going to thank him for what he's already provided And then you're going to say, hey, God, I need you in this area. I need some help in this area. Um, Do you have a friend who's a runner? Yeah, you do. All of us do. God bless their hearts. Um, But it's January, and it's January 2024, and new year, new you. And so you decide, you know what? I would love, hey, if I were to start running, what would I do? You know who loves to tell you about their favorite routes? A runner. A runner. They're like, oh, what time of day are you going? And I don't, does that matter? They're like, oh, it matters. And they're like, well, where do you live? Because there's like different routes close to you or further from you. Like, oh, because they love to share who they are. Um, Let's step away from runners because that's not all of us. Uh, Do you have a friend who loves to cook? Yeah, you do. And when they ask if you want to come over, you say yes, don't you? Yeah, you do. Because a person who loves to cook, when you get there, it's different than your house. Your house, you're like, phew, we got about 30 minutes till the children turn into demons. What what do we need to cook right now? But when you go to a friend's house, they've been working on it. Sometimes the day before. Did you know that you can work on a meal a day and a half? I didn't. And then when you get there, they explain things about it. Like, oh, this, is, this has been marinated in this. And then, you know, I, I used post oak to smoke it because, let's be honest, post oak. And, and then this. And this is a salad. They put, like, it takes some words to describe it. You love them. Because someone who loves to cook loves to provide. Uh, a musician. You got a friend who loves music. And when they discover a new song or a new artist, you can't get them to shut up. Because they just want to tell you. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus is trying to tell you, your father is hospitable. He really enjoys taking care of you. He really, honestly, is the sort of God that is like, I love to meet your needs. And so when Jesus tries to make prayer clear, the thing he wants to make most clear is the end. Is that he wants you to seek God for answers. And so all month long, we're going to talk about different prayers across the, the, the scriptures that can encourage you, wow, did you know you could be praying on this? Or did you know you can pray in this direction? Or did you know this? But all month long, we're going to keep reinforcing this, that you've got this. And as a matter of fact, we're hoping that 200 of us believe we've got this. We're hoping that 200 people in this church move from intimidated, discouraged, defeated, into convinced, courageous and confident, man, Tim, all the things you said about prayer, Foo, you are crazy, but Tim, all that stuff is right. And so next week, we're going to offer you another tool. Um, next week, we're going to encourage you. Did you find a time and a place? and do you got that plan? And our hope is that all month long, we'll develop a confident sense of who God is. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you have brought so many people into a church that works so hard to make you clear. Lord, I thank you for the fact that there are already hundreds of people in this church who are people of prayer. God, I thank you that they set an example, that they set a standard. God, I thank you that there are people in this church that have already aligned our direction to keep following you. Lord, I confess that sometimes prayer can be defeating, that I can be distracted or I can devalue it. And God, I confess that I need to be reminded to come back to you, not to prove that I'm spiritual, but to prove that you're able. And Lord, I thank, or excuse me, Lord, today I I thank you that um, we can continue to move people along in a way that invites them As a matter of fact, God, that's what we want to seek you for today. God, I want to ask that you would help 200 of us, 300 of us, Lord, to become people who are confident in you. So, Lord, we pray that tonight, this week, and this month, all equip us to be people who are convinced of you. And it is in your son's name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.